0: So Ephesians uh, 4, we're considering verses 11 through 16. We started last week in our series on discipleship. Now, the Lord has comm- commissioned His church to make disciples. That's what the church is about. That's the identity of the church. That's the mission of the church, to make disciples. Everything else is secondary to the major mission of the church, to make disciples. Uh, the mission of the church is not to provide uh, food for the poor. It's not to provide clean water. It's not to seize um, uh, social inequality. It's not to bring uh, racial reconciliation. That's not the primary mission of the church. Though, as disciples are made, these other things that are addressed, but that's not the primary, mission, the primary mission of the church. The primary mission of the church is to make disciples... And those disciples are made by baptizing, that is, through evangelism, and by teaching them to observe whatever the Lord has commanded us, by teaching the Word of God. And each one of us is called to be part of making disciples. Each one of us is a part in that mission of the church. And this is really important for us, and because of that, or at least should be very important for us, and must be very important for us, and because of that, we need to grow in that area. We need to grow in the area of discipleship, of making disciples. Last week, we, we looked at some definitions of discipleship, five of them. We're going to review them briefly now. We saw that discipleship can be defined as doing life together as people who have been redeemed by Jesus and are following Him every moment of their lives. That's one way to define discipleship. Another way to define discipleship is teaching biblical precepts while modeling and guiding others toward living righteously as followers of Jesus Christ. Another way to think about discipleship, the intentional encouragement and training of disciples of Jesus on the basis of deliberate, loving relationship. A fourth way of talking about discipleship, the constant process in which a Christian is helped by the covenant community to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that he becomes progressively conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and can in turn disciple others. And then one final way we define discipleship was this. Discipleship is the mutual helping of one another in the church of Jesus Christ in order to become more like the one who saved us and whom we follow. The a, a constant here, it, there are two constants. One, discipleship is unto becoming more like Jesus Christ. And two, is always through the teaching of the Bible. It doesn't have to be lecturing all the time, but discipleship always focuses on the Bible. It's impossible to make disciples of Jesus Christ apart from the Bible. There's all kinds of fun things that we can do together. And we should do them. But like some of the men went out on a hike last, yesterday morning at 6.30 in the morning. Not what I consider fun, but they had fun. Uh, no, hiking at 6.30 in the morning is... You know, it takes a, a particular kind of person to do that. That's not me. But they had fun. That's great. Uh, but just having fun together is not discipleship. It's all, it has to be in, it, around the Bible. That, that's discipleship. Um, that we see that in our definitions. Another thing that's super important that we saw last time is that every Christian is a disciple. When you ask a question, who is a disciple? Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. There's no exception. Sometimes people think that you're a Christian, and then you become a, a better Christian, then you become a disciple, and so on. That's not how the Bible talks about. Um, right there you see in Acts sixteen twenty six, in the red letter says that in Antioch is where disciples were first called Christian. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, disciple is the f- favorite word of Jesus, to label those who follow him from the very moment of conversion on. So every Christian is a disciple, and every Christian is a disciple who makes disciples. It's not just for a special cast of Christians. And we saw that discipleship involves several things. It involves learning and loving God's word. It involves pursuing peace and edifying one another. It involves bearing with one another. It involves encouraging holy living, and involves lighting a fire for love and good works in our hearts. And we saw how the Scriptures teach all of each one of these things last week as we start looking at this idea that we're growing together in Christ. And then we saw that the goal of discipleship, according to Ephesians 4.13, is the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So we are discipling, discipling each other so that we can grow in unity and in faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, to be complete, to be mature a person, to be growing into being all that Christ has for us, and growing the fullness that comes from Christ. If you look at Ephesians four thirteen, the Apostle says that these things are happening till. So that's that we're going to be ministering to one another till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man. The, the word perfect there is, is really the idea of maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal of discipleship. That's where we're going with what's going on here in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Any questions about these things? These are, these, this is a really quick review of last week's lesson. Any comments or questions before we continue? All right. So then we ask, how? How should we disciple one another? Remember that these two lessons, uh, they're not the end all, they are the overview of, of what we're going to be also be looking in the future, but it's good to write off the bat to talk about how should we disciple one another. And we started talking about this last week, and we saw that discipleship only happens where people want to be discipled. Uh, if, if, if somebody doesn't want to be discipled, you can't really have discipleship. And I say that, and I think we all would agree with that, but I want, I'm saying that so that we can consider this. We often think of how we should, could disciple others, but we are less likely to think of how we could be discipled. So discipleship is a two-way street where not only are we endeavoring to help others to become more like Jesus Christ, but also we want others' help for us to become more like Jesus Christ. Every last one of us needs to be discipled as well. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how many times you've read the Bible, there are areas of growth in our lives, so we need to be disciple-making disciples. That's what we need to be, where we are discipling and being discipled. Any thoughts on that before we continue? All right. So, as I read the Bible, I see discipleship centered around two things. One is the Lord's Day with public and private worship and relationships. That, that's one big element of discipleship, and it's an element that today in the Evangelical Church has been dismissed. There's not a lot of emphasis putting, put on, this, on the Lord's Day, on the Christian Sabbath. There's not uh, a lot of um, uh, emphasis put on, on the worship of the Lord as discipleship. The church in the mid-1900s, so the mid-20th century, went away from understanding that the worship on the Lord's Day is unto God by his people and shifted that into the Lord's Day worship being an evangelistic opportunity. And that's not what the Bible teaches concerning the worship of the Lord on the Lord's Day. The worship that, on the Lord, of the Lord on the Lord's Day is his people gathering together to worship him. It's not to be geared to the unbeliever. But starting in the 1940s and 50s, every sermon became a sermon on John 3.16. It didn't matter what text you're preaching on, it became an evangelistic sermon and not a sermon to build the people of God. And the worship service became, became something that was supposed to be for the unbeliever instead of the believer. And yet, as we look at the Scriptures, we see that the Lord's Day with its public and private worship and its relationships are central for the discipling of the body of Christ. Hebrews brings Hebrews 10 brings these two ideas together. Look at Hebrews 10:23 through 25. It says, "Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works." So, Discipleship. Let us consider one another, so that we can stir up love and good Remember, I told you that this word "stir up" is often used in uh, extra-biblical literature to mean what a, a sibling does to another sibling to get them in trouble. You know, to keep on poking the other sibling uh, to make sure that the other sibling gets in trouble. To stir up, to to make, to cause them to do something. Well, that's the same word, but here is to stir each other up unto what? Unto love and good works, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And then 25, the ing word there, describes how we do that in this particular passage. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. One of the ways that we persevere to the end is by being the Lord's house, by being stirred by each other unto love and good works so that we can arrive at the end through Jesus Christ there. There. God gave us a whole day when we have his permission, more than that, we have his command, to put regular work aside and focus on these things. The concept, you know, what's happened to us is the concept of the weekend and relaxation has taken over. Now, we think of, okay, uh, Monday through Friday and sometimes Monday through Friday and Saturday is the days that I work for other people, but Sunday is mine. The weekend is mine. It's given to me to relax, and that's not really the, 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 the case. Sunday was given for the worship of the Lord. It was being marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we, uh, there's a, a big banner saying, this is the Lord's day. We are going to be glad and rejoice in it. There's Psalm 118 is not speaking about every day. It's talking about the day of the resurrection, which is the first day of the week. So we should rejoice in the Lord every day, but that's specifically referring to the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, which is given to us so that we can grow in Him to worship the Lord, but also disciple one another. Any questions before we continue? Sadie, Katie? Uh, is that day approaching the final day or every day? It's the day of the, of the coming of Jesus Christ. And that becomes more clear if you actually read uh, the following verses. Um, start at verse 26, is, is these, there are five really strong warnings in the book of Hebrews uh, against um, leaving the faith. And in every one of them, the key is that we need people around us keep uh, helping us stay at the end. And then in verse 26, the end of, uh, to about 31 of chapter 10, there the Holy Spirit say that if you forsake the Lord's day, if you forsake the assembly of ourselves, it's more likely, it's likely that you're going to forsake Christ. And if you do that, at the day, you're going to be judged guilty, not, not in Christ. So the day is the day of, the ju- of judgment. And I also often tell people, if you don't love the church, your children will not love Christ. It's as simple as that. If you don't love the church, your children will not love Christ. They go together like, just like that in, in the scriptures. Anything else before I continue? All right. The method, so still talking about how, the method Paul provides in Ephesians includes at least three things. Oh, sorry, I forgot the number two. So I had those two things. Um, Worship on the Lord's Day and then fellowship with one another. Being together, doing life together. Those are the two pillars really of discipleship. It's not so much organized programs that is people, the people of God worshiping Him together and doing life together. In a little bit we're gonna to try to talk about more concrete ways, like the, the really how-to's of 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 that. Okay? Lord's Day, life together. Those are the two pillars of um, discipleship. Right? Okay. When I say life together, what author comes to mind right away? Yeah, he's not a good guy, by the way. Okay, he, he, if he had not died during World War II, he would be listed with all the liberals and heretics. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So he was a, um, he was a Barthian. He believed that eventually God was going to save the whole world, that the Bible wasn't quite historical, uh, and that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's the bonus lesson for uh, today. So Francis of Assisi and Bonhoeffer, those are the two historical lessons for today. And that Jesus died at 33. So. <laughs> All right, the method, the, method, the method that Paul provides in Ephesians includes at least three things, and none of, none of them are how-tos as we think of how-tos. Look at chapter 4, verse 15. Ephesians 4, 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ. So, who is speaking the truth in love? Those that he has mentioned before, the saints who are being equipped for the work of the ministry. So, speaking the truth in love with the purpose of blessing those around you with growth in Jesus. That's a how-to of discipleship, speaking the truth in love. This is not the same as saying, I call it as it is is speaking the truth in love. I was talking to somebody, and I called this person on the way that they were talking to other people, and the, 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 the answer was, oh, I'm from New Jersey, that's how we do it. And then I asked them, does the Holy Spirit not work in New Jersey? Because one of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Right? It's, it's love. Self-discipline. So this, the speaking in the truth is in love, not just calling like it is, and it is, it is uh, done so that the person to whom you're speaking is growing in Jesus Christ. We all know that the truth can be used to hurt, which is not the same thing as to say that the truth hurts. The truth, because, because of the leftovers of our sinful nature, the truth often will hurt us, but it's a hurt that's good for us, it's the hurt of working out and growing muscles and so on. But sometimes we can use the truth with the purpose of hurting other people. That's not discipleship. That's a sin from the pit of hell. Okay? So discipleship is accomplished, according to Ephesians 4, as we speak to one another, the truth of God is the truth. Is often, it's important that it's not just truth. It's the truth. It's the specific truth, the truth that God reveals in His Word. sanctify them by your, word, by your truth. Your Word is truth. Right? And then we do that in love. Another thing that is a how-to that we find here in Ephesians 4 is that every less member of God's community is doing his or her part to ensure that every and all in the church are growing in Jesus. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, so every, every part is working, every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's easy to blame when people are not growing Christ. It's easy to blame the leadership. Or it's the leadership's fault. And, and there is blame there. But it's also every member's fault. Because it's every member's job to be discipling one another. There's no spectator in the church of Jesus Christ. There's no bench player. Everybody is in the game. Everybody is doing the work, nobody's excused from the work of discipleship as each other grows in Jesus Christ. Oh, sorry, I get excited and forget to click my phone. <clears throat> Any questions or comments on these two before we continue? The third how to is that we in discipleship we are to do it by being filled with the Spirit. Look at, uh, jump over to chapter five, verse eighteen. Paul says, "And not, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit." Still developing what he started in chapter four. And eventually, automatically, our reaction is to think of this filling of the Spirit as a mystical experience. Somehow, you know, if you sit on the lotus position with your fingers like this on our knees, somehow we're going to be filled with the Spirit. That's not how Paul describes being filled with the Spirit. It's not a subjective experience. It is actions that lead to growth in the body of Christ as described in the following verses. Being filled with the Spirit in verse 19 is described with speaking with one another in terms of the Word of God. Look at verse 19 of chapter 5. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Paul is describing what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And he has an action. Speaking to one another according to the Word of God. In Colossians, Paul says that Uh, Says that um, the word of God dwells richly in us when we speak, when we share it with our brothers and sisters. He says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly." So, dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. The Lord. So, the word of of Christ actually dwells in us. That's Colossians three sixteen. Only when we're sharing with others. If you're not sharing the Word of God with others, your brothers and sisters in wisdom, then the Word of Christ really doesn't dwell in you. Um, You're a black hole of the Word of God. It's just coming in there and and never coming out. That's not what the Bible describes, the dwelling of the Word of God. It's only there when we're actually sharing and helping others in the body of Christ to grow like Him. Another how-to that we find here in Ephesians 5 and, and describes... What it means to be filled with the Spirit is in verse 20. It says, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speak, one action of being filled with the Spirit, not subjective. Giving thanks, again not subjective, is just what you do. So another way way that being filled with the Spirit is described is living a thankful life. And that's part of discipleship. We disciple other people by living a thankful life. And then he finishes describing what it means to be filled with the Spirit in verse 21. He says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God, being humble toward one another, demonstrated through mutual submission in the fear of God, Is another way that we are filled with the Spirit. Notice that none of these are waiting actions. They're just going forward actions. We don't have to, the Spirit is already in us. We don't have to wait for something else. We just do the things that manifest the filling of the Spirit. And this is all in the context of building each other up to be more like Jesus Christ. Any questions or comments before we continue? All right. So let's get even more specific and even more practical as we think about how-tos. Now, how-tos that may be helpful as we practice discipleship in everyday life. And as we do that, I want you to, 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 to see that the only limitations to what we do as, far as discipleship is the Ten Commandments in our imagination. So the boundaries of the Word of God and how we can think of ways to help each other grow in Jesus Christ, that's based on the Word of God. Now, the Bible has established some natural discipling relationships. Okay, look at Titus, turn to Titus chapter two. Titus two, starting verse one. Titus 2, verse 1, it says, it says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So we think of sound doctrine, theology, teaching, and so on, and that's exactly where it is. But then he lists a bunch of practical things, which tells us that discipleship is based on sound, good theological teaching. As I've said before, every theological teaching that comes from the Bible, no matter how deep it is, no matter how complex it is, has a practical application to daily living so paul says speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine in verse two he says that the old man be sober reverent temperate sound in faith in love in patience the older women likewise so all these things that he said to the old man of old older man applies to the uh, older women as well um and it says to the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things. So one of the things that the older women have to do is to be teachers, disciples of good things. And then he continues, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young man to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, and so on. So here you find a natural disciple of worship, older saints and younger saints. And notice the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. He did not attach, attach age to it, as far as a specific age. If you're this age, you're the old group. If you're this age, you the younger group. Because I think one thing that has to take into consideration is your... Maturity in the Lord, right? And sometimes you're going to be in the younger group for some, um, some things, and sometimes you're going to be in the older group for some things. And notice that Paul and the Holy Spirit assumed people's willingness to teach and be taught, which those two things are essential to uh, discipleship. So, right here, old saints, older saints, younger saints is a natural discipleship. And the book of Proverbs tells us that as well. So that, that, that's, one, that's one of the reasons why it's so important that the church, when it gathers, is, always, is not always broken up. That kids have kids' church, teenagers have teenager church, and you know, people with kids have people with kids' church, you know, and, and, and so on. That, that the church actually gathers together so that there's this idea of inter- generationality, if there's such a word, this idea that there's this fellowship between generations, because that's essential for growth in Christ. Okay? Another, another um, natural discipling relationship is the husband-wife relationship in Ephesians chapter 5, and then in Genesis chapter 2, where the husband is to cherish, to sanctify, and to nurture his wife, to nourish his wife, so that's discipling. And the wife should be his helpmeet. That's also discipling. Going both ways there. A Parent-child in Ephesians six. Pastor congregation in Ephesians four eleven. We just saw. A pastor and future pastors and teachers in 2 Timothy two, where Paul tells Timothy to receive what he got from Paul, then pass it to other men who can in turn pass to other faithful men there as well. So there's these natural relationships in the church that should be used for discipleship and growth in Christ. Any comments or questions on that? All right, so, by the end of the day, every relationship in the church can be used for discipling, can be a, 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 a discipling relationship when we consider all the one and of the Bible. We saw that there are 44 unique one another's in the New Testament that we are to practice. And that's independent of affinity or age or relationship and so on. And as I said earlier, the Lord's Day, Sunday, is the focal point of growth in Christ and discipleship. Spending a few hours together with each other, hearing the Word of God preached, worshiping together, singing the same songs, praying the same prayers, talking with each other, These are all things that will cause us to grow together in Jesus Christ. It's not a good habit, if we're going to grow together in Jesus Christ, for you to come, sit down, worship, and take off. That actually communicates that you don't want anybody in your life. It communicates that you don't want to grow together with your brothers and sisters. If every Sunday you have a reason to rush out of here, then you're overscheduling your Lord's Day. You're not prioritizing the things that should be prioritized. At that point, God has given us the entire day for us to delight in it, and to help us grow in Him. So that's a very practical way to do to do discipleship. Other organized church activities are good means for discipleship as well. Uh, there's uh, currently uh, seems like there's a sentiment in the church in general. Not, I mean, in, in, I don't mean this local church necessarily, but the church in general that somehow organized activities are bad. They don't really. Um, that don't really lead to discipleship or growth in Christ, only um, spontaneous, uh, extemporaneous spontaneous things and uh, if you're in the church building then people are not going to grow in Christ. Well, that's not the case. Now, our prayer meetings on Wednesday night can be a great means for growth. Praying is essential to discipleship. Adult, Bible study on Wednesday, on Wednesday night, youth group, kids club, book study groups, women's fellowship, these are all Good ways of growing the Lord, but discipleship goes beyond the organized activities at the church, since it's doing life together. So let me give you some suggestions of doing life together in the context of discipleship. These are these are suggestions, right? Being the Lord's service this worship—that's a command. That's not me speaking; that's God saying, "If you want to grow in Christ, you must do that." Okay. Now, some suggestions on doing life together in the context of discipleship that can be taken or left. One is, have you ever thought about just scheduling lunch together with somebody? It could be somebody in the church or a Christian in the community during the week, just having lunch. It doesn't have to be in the restaurant. It doesn't have to be expensive. You can just microwave your lunch that you brought from home together. I'm generally here Tuesday through Friday. You can, if you, you want to use the church microwave, you can do that. You can have lunch together and talk about it. It doesn't have to be expensive, right? It would be actually maybe cheaper than what you're currently doing as far as lunches go. How about reading the Bible together? Literally reading the Bible together. You don't need to, a lot of preparation for that. Just sit down with somebody and read the Bible together. Uh, David Helm is a PCA pastor in Chicago. He wrote this book, One-to-One Bible Reading, a Simple Guide for Every Christian. It's a good book. Um, it's a small book. You might say, if we're just reading the Bible together, shouldn't it be even be even smaller than this, the book. Uh, but he, he gives some strategies, some ways to ask questions and so on. So it's, it's a great way to grow together in which you don't have to spend a lot of time preparing for it. It's not a great time commitment. You just sit down and read the Bible together. Another way to do that get together to pray and to to, to pray to, to pray with one another and to learn how to pray from one another by just hearing people pray one a, a, a really great blessing in my life in uh, in, uh, in my seminary years is that Doug and I uh, doug Lim and I would get together to pray and I really appreciated hearing him pray and that taught me how to pray the passion which with which he prayed uh, sometimes he he just the words were just kind of flow in such a way that he just didn't, he had to catch his breath because he, he was just so excited about coming before the Lord and so on. So there's discipline that comes as we pray together. Just get together to pray. Work out together and talk about what you have been reading in the Bible during your private devotions. Go to the gym. If you're going to the gym, see if somebody else is going and go at the same time and or invite people to come and work in, out in your garage gym and whatever it is that you do and, and talk about the things you're reading, talk about your devotions and, and so on. When the weather permits, meet at the park for the kids to play and talk about the book that you have been reading or the application for last Sunday summer. You might say, you know what? I have a little kids. I have a long time to read books, and I get that. But you heard the you heard sermon. You, you could talk about that and how we're going to live that out. Again, no expenses there. Have people over to your house for meals. Again, there there is no need for great fanfare. It can be whatever you want to do, and uh, that can be a helpful thing as well. Uh, You know, I don't necessarily agree with everything she says in this book, but the gospel comes with the housekeeper, Rosaria Butterfield talks about this idea of uh, just discipling people by having them over to your house. Uh, You know, sometimes (laughs) she comes across... A little self-serving that says, "Invite people to fold laundry with you at your house." <laughs> you <know? laughs> whatever works, right? If that, uh, 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 that uh, a lot of uh, ladies are saying, "Amen," at least internally there. Uh, but great, great resource just to, to explore the idea. Uh, you can see that only really our imagination and the law of God are the limitations to what we can do in terms of discipling and being discipled. Uh, these are just suggestions say, case laws or examples for us now to extrapolate and think of other ways that we can do that, disciple one another. Any comments or questions? So God has redeemed us through Jesus Christ. He has called us into a body, a family, a community, a church. It's important for us to look at all the different Ways that God in the Bible calls his people, like it's a family, this relationship, it's a body, it is a commonwealth, it is a building, it is a temple, there's all these relationships in every one of these illustrations. And he called us into relationship, relationships of mutual discipleship in order for us to grow into the maturity of Jesus Christ. I know you guys remember, but under-president George Bush, George W. Bush, he had the No Child Left Behind Act. Remember that for education, which had the lofty goal of every child being able to read by the end of third grade. That was the uh, that was the goal, which you know is s- sad that we have to establish that goal of third grade for that to happen. Well, my desire for us is that no disciples left behind, that we disciple one another, that everybody is moving together, because it really, at the end of the day, we we as a body. We're only developing as our slowest developing part. Do you understand? Uh, Otherwise, how do you call a body, a physical body, a person, a body who uh, one side or one limb is smaller than the others? That's not developing the same is atrophied, right? The person's atrophied. I mean, there's something wrong there. Everything's not growing together. Something something has to be done. And that's true of the church, too. We only grow healthily as the slowest growing person is. And a lot of times, maybe his or her fault. A lot of times, it's also our fault that we're not coming along them and helping them. So no one left outside of this constant discipling being disciple dynamic so that we all may grow up in all things, into him who is the head, Christ, as Paul says in uh, Ephesians 4. Any last comments or questions? Katie. I think it depends. It depends on what the activity is it, how intentional you are in that activity. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that and we're going to go bowling and just do that because somehow that's discipleship. That's not discipleship, right? That's not. And it also depends, okay, uh, I, this is not how we'll do things generally, but they are available at one o'clock today. They've been, you know, um, Avoiding me, that this is something that's that's the only time that finally I've broken into. I'm able to sit down and talk with them. You're known as somebody who is faithful in the Lord's house, and you're going to do that one or two Sundays. Do you, you see the difference there? So, yeah. Anything else? All right. So let's pray, and then uh, pray also that uh, my sermon notes are a little longer today. <laughs> But I really wanted to end it in time, so we either have to go really fast or I have to find a way to break it somewhere in there. Um, it's actually twice as long as my usual notes, so <laughs> buckle up, I guess, is what we say. <laughs> or I have Danita read them, so it'll be really fast. <laughs> Let's pray. Yeah, oh, there we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're good to us. We thank you that we can grow together. We thank you for your words. We pray that whatever was true that was said today, that you would embed in our hearts whatever was not accurate that you'd remove from our thinking. But help us to grow together into the fullness of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.